special go missions you know i just hear stories about what you all are doing just who you are in the community who you are ministering and as we're moving as we're in this series talking faith it's just a perfect time to highlight some of those things a perfect time to inspire some of those things so i love the fact that i mean that inspires me to me to get out i was uh talking to uh Theo just a couple weeks ago about what he's doing in the juvenile uh, detention facility and ministering to kids and just hearing stories and seeing what God's doing, even if it's just person to person, hearing, oh man, this person in my life, God's impacting them through my prayers. Um, I just love that that's the nature of our church. That's who we are. It's not something we have to make happen. It's something that happens because of who we are. So this is, uh, this is uh, we're moving it forward in our series, Talking Faith, and I was just thinking about this this week. Um, our faith is supposed to be reproducible. You know, growing up, I grew up in Alaska, and not just Alaska, but like out in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. My grandparents homesteaded, uh, built like a log cabin out in the middle of nowhere, and then later on, my parents built a house about uh, half a mile through the woods, uh, next to my grandparents' house. And for a long time, that's all that was out there. So I, my, we'd, we'd literally pile into an old, like, 1940s Jeep because that was the only thing that could make it down the road during, during the spring season. And we would get three miles to the bus, and then the bus would take us another 40 minutes to school. And that was kind of my growing up. So you can imagine after I get home from school, I'd be sitting there and like there was no friends for miles, literally miles. So it was me and my siblings and they would get sick of me. So then it was just me, right? And trust me, they would get sick of me at that point in my life. And so what did I do? Well, you know, there wasn't any sort of uh, streaming services. I didn't have Disney Plus. It was three channels, three channels, right? Some of you guys actually remember this. Some of you guys are like, what? What do you mean channels? Right? What are those? Three channels, and they were all over the antenna, right? So they weren't even like, there was no HD, right? It, it was no 4K. It was like, let me make out the picture, in the, and it's all like got staticky. So I grew up watching Star Trek. Whether I wanted to or not, whether I wanted to or not, I became a Trekkie, whether I wanted to or not. And we're not talking like, you know, the next generation. We're talking like 60s Star Trek, right? Okay. So I was, some of you guys are the classic original Trekkies. All right. I see we got some fans. That's good. But I was thinking about, it was funny because you know what just comes to mind, memories from when you're a kid. I remember as I was thinking about talking faith and what our faith is supposed to do, I remembered one, one episode in particular that just stuck with me, and the episode was called The Trouble with Tribbles, okay? I thought about naming this uh, series Tribble Faith, and you'll, you'll know why in a second. Our, our, our faith is supposed to be reproducible. It's supposed to reproduce. So the premise of this old episode was they're visiting some planet, and they find these really cute little, like, hamster-looking uh, animals. And they're like adorable and they purr and they're just like the cutest little thing. And so they bring some onto the ship. Well, the problem, the trouble with tribbles is they reproduce. So here's a, here's a little picture from the episode. All those little furry balls are tribbles. And what ends up happening is it turns into this crazy emergency because the tribbles are reproducing all over the ship. They're reproducing in every, all the electronics and they're about to tear the ship apart. But the point of it is, they just reproduce. It's what they do. 
right? And nothing could stop that because that's what they do. I think as believers, we need to understand that's just what we do. We reproduce our faith. It's very natural. It's very normal. You shouldn't be having to try to do that. It flows out of who you are in Christ. If you look at Jesus' master plan, and if you read through the Gospels, you see a very specific way of ministry that Jesus did. Did he minister to the crowds? Absolutely. Thousands at a time. But what do we see every time throughout his whole ministry? We see him coming back to a few people, investing in them, teaching them, correcting them, pouring out his life for them, washing their feet. You know, when you look at even the last week of Jesus' life here on earth before his crucifixion and his resurrection, what you see is what you see is him investing a large quantity of time in a small quantity of people. He's investing. He's reproducing his faith. Now, did he reproduce who he was in some of the crowds? I'm sure that he did. But there was always that deeper invitation, come, follow me. He wanted life on life. And isn't that how he does it in our life? We receive in places like this. We receive from media. We receive in a lot of ways, but how do we actually become transformed? It's Jesus inside. That's the greatest miracle that the creator of the universe wants to come live inside of you and change your life. And Jesus modeled this ministry that he has done ever since by the power of the Holy Spirit, life on life, person on person, reproducing yourself in another person. You know, if you would have judged Jesus' ministry at the end of his life, he would have been a failure by American standards. He had a little church, okay? It's a few people, and half of those people, man, when he gets turned up, they're out of there. They disappear, right? They're denying him. I don't even know my pastor, right? Okay? We're not like that with our pastor, right? We love James, but, but they were like that with the greatest pastor, the greatest shepherd, the <laughs> the most incredible shepherd that ever lived. I don't even know that guy. I don't want to know. I'll, I'll curse him. Think about that. He was a failure except that. Except that because of his investment in their life, they knew him. They were transformed by him. Even at their lowest moment, what happens? They come back. They come back. Jesus' master plan of evangelism is to make disciples. We know that because after the resurrection, what does he tell his, his followers? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Most of us have heard this scripture. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It wasn't about, hey, let's just get a bunch of people to say a simple prayer. I mean, coming to Christ was part of that. They're not gonna, if they're not coming to Christ, they're not being baptized. Baptism was that outward sign of an inward transformation that was happening. It wasn't just a ritual they did, hey, let's get you baptized. No, it was, wow, you're now a follower of Christ, let's get you baptized. We see that model throughout the book of Acts. So he was making converts, but really... We're called to make disciples, committed followers of Jesus. Now, that takes a little bit of a different approach. It takes Jesus' approach. He spent a lot of time 
with a bunch of people who didn't appear to have much potential, were hard-headed. In some cases, even among his disciples, weren't even believers. Okay? He's making disciples before they're even believers. I love that. That's how we should think about our faith and reproducing our faith. When I see someone, I don't see someone, well, they're not like me. They don't believe. I see, man, if they meet Jesus, they'll follow him. If they could just know him, if they could just see him. And guess what? He sent you to go and make those disciples, to show them who Jesus is is. And He then in turn will not leave us nor forsake us. He's going to be there in the process by the power of His Holy Spirit to show people who He is through you. You know, um, living this out is a lot harder. Having a reproducible faith is a lot harder than just kind of making lip service or, well, I'm, I'm a believer, but I don't know how to talk about it. Because you actually have to build relationships. You know, I remember as a youth pastor, and, you know, our, our youth pastor here, Joey, knows this. It's like youth, man, they come and go. And it, it's, it's kind of like one second, man, I'm gonna, they tell you, I'm going to be here every week. And then where'd they go, right? They have a lot going on in their lives. It's complicated. They have a lot of crazy feelings. Um, man, I remember our, our youth ministry was growing, and I was so excited and it was awesome. And then there was some kids doing some things that I needed to uh, correct. They were kind of bullying some other kids and some ugly things were happening. And I corrected it. Overnight, the youth ministry just goes to nothing. And I'm like, wait, what? I thought we were all committed here. I thought this was how it was supposed to go. But I remember even in that moment thinking about what is Jesus' master plan? It wasn't to build a crowd. The crowd all left. It was to build disciples. So I began praying, God, would you just give me some people to disciple, help me see them? And these kids would come in. <laughs> and some of them, I mean, some of the stories I have of these kids, you know, half of them were coming in because they're, they were like their, their girlfriend or boyfriend was missionary dating. I don't know if you ever heard that term, but that's like, that's like well, I really like this boy and I want to follow Jesus, so I'm going to try and make him come to church with me, even though he's bad news. So these bad news kids would come in, and I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to disciple this young person. They're dating someone who they shouldn't be dating, and it's like, okay, how do we do this? But you know what? They were just potential disciples, and so I remember God started doing things through these young people, and it was life on life. It didn't always happen in a great youth service or a great Sunday morning. A lot of it happened I'd just be hanging out with them and there'd be an opportunity to pray for them. Or some of it would happen, they'd say, Jake, you talk about God, I don't know God. How do I know God? And, and I, I, would, I would take crazy risks and put God on the spot sometimes. And I'd say, well, here's what I want you to do. One of the kids, I said, here's what I want you to do. Go home, sit on your bed and say, Jesus, I want you to show me you're real and I, want, I don't want you to leave your bed until he shows you. Now, that was a spirit-led thing. I'm not saying that's the way you're supposed to approach it all the time. But that was something God did. And he went home and God met him at home. And he came back and he said, God met me. I said, oh, whew, good. <laughs> you know, didn't screw that one up. But it, it was a spirit-led thing. Jesus was there saying that to him. It wasn't me. I wasn't, that wasn't my advice to every kid that came up to me. You go on your bed and don't leave, you know, even if you starve. Wait until Jesus shows himself, Right? No, but that for him, 
he came to Christ. And a couple of these kids, total unbelievers, in fact, most of them were the first Christian in their family, in their whole generations. No one had ever followed Christ. And then we had this little group. And then I remember talking to them and I said, guys, if we are all in, and I don't mean you got to be me. I don't mean you got to preach. I don't mean any of that. I just mean if you're all into Jesus, he's going to bring multiplication. And they were looking at their small group thinking, I don't know if we even want that. But I remember that, that six months, there was a moment. It was in March, I remember. In March of whatever year it was, we sat down with a small group and I said, guys, let's be all in. Let's multiply. I want you guys now to reach your friends. It's the only way it's going to work. You just need to be yourself. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be anything. Just be who you are and share what Jesus is doing inside of you. And they, they kind of nodded their heads. But what happened is they actually got it. And I, I remember six months later, there was one Wednesday night where that little group began to multiply. And I mean, it all happened at once. We went from 20 to 40 to 60 to 120 in like maybe a month. And like, I remember one, we went to a lake one day and we baptized 40 young people at one time. It was, and they were all, and I mean, they were all getting saved and becoming disciples. And even to this day, I can name off probably 15, 20 names off the top of my head from that group that stuck with it. Because see, they weren't just getting saved. They were being discipled. They weren't just, oh, I made a commitment to Christ in an emotional moment. They had people life on life. And those young people, to this day, they won't call me. They'll call that friend that first introduced them to this Jesus to pray for them. You know, as we think about having genuine conversations um, about faith, we need to thank God, reproduce what's in me and someone else. It's not, being about, it's not just being about it, being able to share your faith. But as someone gets to know you, as someone knows your life, they're going to see it. It's going to become contagious. It's helping others experience the transforming power of Jesus in their life. You know, the world understands this, right? We know that. The world understands reproducing things. Focused on getting a certain ideological view into even kids of very, very young ages. We see this all over in the media. We see it in academia. We see it in education. But that's a superficial set of ideas and standards. They don't have the power to transform anyone. In fact, those ideologies are just leading people further and further away into focus on self. Where we have something that can change people's lives because they're going to find out who they are when they take their focus off of themselves and put it on their creator. So really, as we're talking about talking faith, what we're talking about today is reproducing our faith. And so that's the title if, you got, if you're taking notes. If you look at the Old Testament, it's the history of God's covenant with His people. So is the New Testament. That word testament really is just another word for covenant. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, refers to the covenant God made with the people of Israel and how they walked that out and how he was continually in this process of drawing his people back to him. You see it again and again and again in the Old Testament, and then you see Jesus finish that work for all mankind in the New Testament. But the heart of it, 
is in the Old Testament. The heart of God. God making covenant. God giving himself to his people to have a love relationship with him. And one of the most famous scriptures in the Old Testament referring to this covenant is Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Every Jewish child memorizes this scripture to this day if they're Orthodox, if they're religious Jews. And uh, we're going to get into that uh, this morning. I just want to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God. You want to speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that our faith is not just about this wonderful, incredible relationship with, with you, Lord, but it is about this natural reproduction that happens in our life. Lord, when we're around people and we love people and they experience who you are in our lives. And Lord, we want to reflect that. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So Moses is speaking uh, to the, the people of Israel, and he's talking about the covenant. He's talking about the promise, and he's talking about what our heart, what their heart needed to be towards the Lord, and really what the Lord's heart was towards them. So in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 6, it says, uh, This is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. This is God's heart from the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. You see it even even right after the fall of man. Be fruitful and multiply. Here it is again. Multiply. You will multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your father, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus also reaffirmed this scripture as the greatest commandment in the New Testament. So this isn't just an Old Testament deal, okay? This is for us. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God wanted his people to understand that he made a covenant with them. And the covenant was meant to be reproduced. It was meant to multiply throughout all the generations. And in fact, if you really trace the journey of God's people through the Old Testament, you'll see that it's all coming to this place where Jesus comes, the Messiah. It's all about the promise that God wants to be with his people, that it isn't about something written on paper or written on tablets. It's about something God wanted to write on people's hearts. The covenant was meant to be reproduced as they lived it out in their lives. So Jesus is calling us to walk out our lives in such a way that the gospel is reproduced in the lives of others. This isn't just for you. I mean, I love that Jesus is for me. I love that he comes and he does incredible things in my life. I love that he brings me joy. I love that when I come to him and I say, God, I just feel like a piece of garbage. He says, 
You're my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? I love that he affirms me and he doesn't get sick of me. I mean, you know, if someone came to me every day and said, I feel like a jerk, I'd say, how many times do I have to tell you, right? But God keeps telling me. He keeps telling me. He keeps speaking. He keeps changing those tapes in my head. He keeps renewing my mind day by day, right? This is how he works. It's so incredible. It's not just for me, right? It's not just for me. There are millions, billions of people walking around who are bound to those things. They're stuck in that. They don't have a choice. I got a choice whether I want to think that way or not. I got a choice whether I want to walk out in my sin or or choose freedom. I got a choice. They don't. They're stuck. They're in bondage. And I'm free. At least I'm free. Free to make a choice. Sometimes we don't make the right choice, correct? But I got freedom because of Jesus in me. I can make the choice right now to walk away from whatever I need to walk away from because of Jesus Christ in me. But you have something in you they need. And it's meant to be reproduced. So let's just look at the scripture and I want to share some things briefly about how we are to walk out our lives. Because this isn't just about having a conversation. You could go out and have an awkward conversation right now. Okay? I've had plenty of them, right? I remember when I first got saved, I'd go up to people and I'd be like, hey, you know, you know about Jesus? And they'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, what do you know about him? That's what I'd say. What do you know about him? You know, like, I, what am I trying to do there? I don't know exactly what my thought process was, but I wanted to go have a conversation. Now, the heart was right. Thank God for that. I wasn't trying to push anybody away. And I learned real quickly, oh, yeah, that scares people. Like their eyes will get all big and they start backing away. And you're saying, okay, this isn't how to have that genuine conversation. How to have a genuine conversation is to allow God to do things in your life that will come out genuinely as you're talking to people, right? So if we look back at uh, Deuteronomy starting uh, in chapter 6, verse 5, where we get to the meat of what God is saying to His people, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. It's got to be in here, guys. Can't be ex- it can't be just external. It's got to be in here. So start with all your heart. Start with all your heart. That story I just told about those kids, what happened with them wasn't my great leadership. I didn't know what I was doing, right? I mean, I had the crowd and I lost the crowd. <laughs> like, I didn't know what to do. It was about their hearts being engaged in the mission of God. Them saying, something real happened to me and I'm going to go into this with my whole heart. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to go all in. We want to produce something that's not half-hearted. I don't want to produce something that is just halfway. You know, you remember Jesus talking to the Pharisees? And he said, you sons of the devil, right? And then he talked about your, your offspring are also sons of the devil. It's like, oh, jeez, right? It's like, you half-hearted? Your offspring are half-hearted. No wonder, right? We don't want that. I want it to be real. Now, guys, half-hearted, does, wholehearted doesn't mean perfect. Wholehearted doesn't mean you got it together. You could be a mess and be a wholehearted mess, all right? Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> but you're wholehearted. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you might be struggling with stuff every day, but you're still wholehearted. Okay? This is how it works. Now, will we get free if we continue to be wholehearted? Absolutely. But you've got to start where you're at. We, we were on vacation this past week, spring break. And, you know, on spring break, if you've got a family, um, 
for most of us, the regular schedule goes out the window. So it's like, bedtimes, what is that, right? You know, and you pay the price for that, obviously. But we were out at like Denny's, I don't know, at like 9.30 at night, right? What do you want? Pancakes. All right, let's go, right? I want to say yes while I'm on vacation. I say no a lot sometimes at home. We'll say yes on vacation. All right, let's go out for pancakes. And we go there, and there's this, uh, this waitress. She's super excited about working at Denny's. She was loving it. And I'm thinking, this is awesome, because that's not necessarily what I've encountered all the time. She's excited. And, and my wife says, hey, tell me about this smoothie that's on your menu, okay? I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend a smoothie from Denny's, okay? But this, this woman was so excited about this smoothie. Like, she was all in on the smoothie. In fact, like, I think she, like, would go and make them herself. She was so excited about the smoothie. She, like, co-opted it from the cook and said, I'm making this smoothie for this person. And it was actually a really good smoothie. But she's all in on the smoothie, right? You could tell. This woman loves the smoothie. She's excited to talk about the smoothie. She's excited to tell us what's in the smoothie. She wants to go and make the smoothie herself, right? That's what happens when you're wholehearted. You're going to talk about it. You want to tell people what's going on. It's very natural, very natural. You know, I was thinking about something Pastor James says all the time about uh, ministry, it's actually written on his bulletin board in there, and, and it's just a quote. It says, if you're not having fun in ministry, do yourself and everyone else a favor and quit. And I love that, man. I love that. That's why I'm not in ministry anymore. No, just kidding. Just kidding. That was the difference. My story's a little different, okay? I mean, maybe a little bit, right? Right? Okay. No, we're all in ministry, friends. That's a quote for all of you. That's a quote for me. He just happens to be leading a whole organization, and that is his ministry pastoring us and leading forth in the vision. Y'all in ministry. So learn how to love it. How do you learn how to love it? Give it all to Jesus. Let him invade every area of your heart. Let him change you. Let him in. Let go of like what your faith is supposed to be. Oh, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to show up here. I'm supposed to do that. And let Jesus change your heart, and see then what flows out naturally. It's an inside-out faith. We know that. It's not about judgment. See, that's what the people of Israel didn't understand, especially the religious elite, the most religious of them all. That's why you've heard Pastor James say, we, we hate religion, okay? Not because religion doesn't mean helping people, but because religion kills the heart. It's a ritualistic way of approaching God that keeps him at a distance or tries to appease him through a certain level of actions or inactions. Here's the things I don't do. Here's the things I do. And it keeps Jesus from my heart. Now, Jesus or, or the word and James says real religion is going to help the poor and the widows go out and be externally focused because of what God has done inside of you. So we are not meant to look at the external. We're meant to say, Lord, get in here. Transform me. Romans 2 talks about this. It talks about being renewed by the transforming of our minds day by day. Think about this. Our heart sometimes looks at the way we approach our faith as something that I have to do I have obligations, I have duties to fulfill. That's not how God's heart works at all. 1 John 4 says this, there's no fear in love. 
our love, that internal thing God wants to do in your heart, it's going to cast out all fear. Fear of failure, that performance mentality that you have. It says this, love casts out, perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfect in love. All punishment has been satisfied at the cross. You messing up, you're not going to be punished, okay? You're not going to be punished. There's consequences in the real world for things we do, but you're not being punished by God. He already took the punishments. So he's saying now, come to me, come broken. I want to heal your hearts. You know, when I'm free to love him with all my heart like that, my faith becomes contagious and reproducing. It becomes natural, not forced. You know, some of the people I've seen with the most contagious faith are the biggest mess you've ever seen. I remember that. Like, we, 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 we ministered for a lot of years, like, in a, in a very poverty-stricken community. Tons of drug use. It was just a mess. People would come in with, like, you know, people have problems. Everybody has problems. But this would be like someone would come and they'd say, like, hey, my marriage is being destroyed. And you're like, okay, let's talk about that. Oh, and I have an addiction to alcohol. Okay, let's talk about that. Oh, yeah, meth is a problem as well. Okay, and I'm a convicted, uh, you know, whatever. And you're like, oh, we've got, we've got like, generate. Oh, and my dad did that and my grandfather before me did that. We're talking about generational issues. And some of the most broken people, I mean, they would show up with 20 people, like 20 people to church. And I'm just like, how, what? And it's because they were real, they were broken, and everyone said, well, you may be like me, but you got something I don't have, and I need that. And we saw God do miracles. It wasn't always easy. <laughs> A lot of discipleship involved there. But when I'm free to love with all my heart, my faith becomes contagious and reproducing it becomes natural, not forced. If you look at uh, verse 7, it says, You'll teach them diligently to your sons. You'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. We need to develop an all-the-time faith. If I'm going to be serving with all my heart, I want to make sure that this faith is an all-the-time thing. You know, when we love with our whole heart, our faith will be working all the time. Is your faith something you can turn off or turn on? Okay? I mean, let's be honest. Do you act differently around people that you might be saying, well, I know they, they believe in Jesus. Am I going to act differently around them as opposed to the people who don't? Now, I don't mean like learning how to relate to different types of people. I mean your personality changes. You present something on the outside that maybe doesn't reflect what's on the inside. What does a lifestyle of walking out your faith look like? Is Jesus is with me wherever I go and whatever I'm doing. It's really simple. He's with me wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm saying, whether I'm getting up or sitting down, um, you know, whether I'm talking with my kids or I'm out in the public square, Jesus is going to be the same. You know, when I've talked to people, who walked their whole life. They may have got saved when they were three years old or four years old, like, you know, they said that prayer, and then they walked out their faith step by step, and they didn't ever have those moments. Now, everyone has moments, but they didn't have those moments where they were like the prodigal son, squandering everything. And I, I've asked a lot of people that because I, I, I was the kid that squandered everything, okay? My folks had a certain way of uh, you know, they were following the Lord. They tried to impart that to me. I totally rejected it and did a lot of stupid stuff and almost destroyed my life, OK? 
okay? So I have an interest in, man, how do we not do that? And when I've talked to those folks that grew up a certain way, what they've always said, and almost every person I ask is, I saw adults in my life who lived what they preached. Sometimes it's their parents. Sometimes it's people who became spiritual parents. They were the same on Sunday morning as they were at their job, as they were with their family. They were the same. Letting Jesus into every area of my life so I have an all-the-time faith. You know, there is nothing more powerful than a believer that's the same everywhere. You know, my, uh, one of my closest friends grew up in a Hindu home. Like the newest age of the newest age, you could imagine, right? Crystals, uh, yogis, everything, okay? Grew up in a Hindu home. His only exposure to the Lord was this crazy, nutty professor math teacher he had in high school. And here's what the math teacher said. He said, you can ask me any question at any time, and I will answer it. There's nothing off limits. You can ask me any question at any time, I will answer it. And, and my, my, my friend was kind of the rebellious type, so in the middle of class, he would call out random questions. How do you stay faithful to your wife? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> well, this math teacher, I mean, he was following the Lord. It was going to be the same answer no matter what. And he just started in the middle of class through these crazy questions. He just started sharing his faith. He just started sharing who Jesus was. I can stay faithful to my wife because of what Jesus has done in my life. Not because of me, right? I can do, and and this, this thing happened in which my, my buddy shows up at his church. And we're not talking like, it's, it's not a, I mean, I've been to the church. We're talking like orange shag carpet pews, like with like puffy padding, you know. I mean, it hasn't changed in 40 years. And, and we're not, no, no worship band. I mean, piano, right? They're hitting the piano. This wasn't like a hip church where a high schooler would show up and find something they could relate to, except Jesus was there. And this math teacher had reflected Jesus to my friend in such a way that he, could, he had to say something's different. Very normal, very natural. This guy, I mean, I, I actually know him pretty well, the math teacher. <laughs> and he's like, like I said, he's kind of a nutty professor, goofy guy, you know. And, and he just had a way of saying, look, I'm going to invest in this one guy, this crazy, rebellious kid in my math class. And I'm going to love on this kid, and I'm not going to get frustrated with him, because trust me, he could have many, many times. Instead, he just lived out his faith right in front of the kid. He didn't change. He was the exact same at that church as he was in the math classroom. He had to be wise about it, right? We have to be wise in the way we share, but I'm going to be the same person, and it's going to come out. How could it not, right? You know, I was thinking about another way um, that we reproduce our faith. It's with those around us who really know us. Because you screw up around the people that really know you. They know your weaknesses. They know if you got a temper, right? They know if, you know, you're whatever you do. They know, right? Okay. Um, how about repenting to them? How about repenting to your kids? You know, we think a lot of times, well, I need to present something to the people even close to me. We don't. 
They need to see humility. They need to see brokenness. You know, I think in my life, and I, I, I can say this pretty confidently, my kids will probably remember the times I repented to them for doing something wrong than the times I was right and they were wrong, right? I think probably later on they'll say, man, I remember when my dad apologized to me for doing that, for losing his temper or, or for saying something cruel or whatever it was, whatever happens. I think that's going to make a bigger difference. Sometimes it's in your weakness that you're going to reflect Jesus the most in your humility because guess what? That's how Jesus walked. Humility was part of who he was. He humbled himself, emptying himself, emptying himself of all his power and majesty and glory and taking on the life of a human being just like us. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In Orthodox Judaism, they still do literally that. They'll have, if you've seen maybe before, they actually have a little box they'll bind to their head. And in that little box is little scriptures. Deuteronomy 6 being one of those little scriptures that's in that box. They'll put something on their arm. And in that little uh, package, they're called phylacteries, the head and the heart. It's supposed to be the arm closest to, well, whichever arm you use, left or right. But it's supposed to be an arm and it's close to your heart. They'll actually take a little container and they will nail it to their doorpost and there's little scriptures in there. I had one on my house for a while because I just thought it was cool. And in that, in that little box was Deuteronomy 6 on a little tiny piece of paper reminding them these were meant to be signs of the covenant. What's the sign of the covenant in our lives? It's Jesus. He is. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the sign. He is the blood of the covenant, right? You guys remember in, um, in the Exodus, they put blood on the doorposts as a sign that they were God's covenant people. He shed his own blood. He is the sign of the covenant. They need to see the sign of the covenant in us, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He transforms our life. Let Jesus direct all your steps. If I'm going to give all my heart and I'm going to have a, a faith that is all the time, I have to let Jesus direct all my steps. Jesus in me, the hope of glory. Jesus in me, doing things I could never do on my own. Jesus in me, changing me from the inside out. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but how are we transformed? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're transformed as God's truth, God's truth changes the way we walk out our lives. And who is the truth? Jesus. It's Christ in us that changes us. But you have to let him into every step. We so many times walk around blindly, not even realizing we're taking steps. When you walk out of your house, you just took a step. When you got out of your car to get gas, you just took a step. When you walk into your workplace, you just took a step. When you meet someone, encounter someone, even if you've known them forever, 
you are at a point where God might be wanting to direct your steps. Are you going to let him direct all of your steps? That doesn't mean I'm asking permission to walk down this step. Hey, what that means is he has permission to direct all my steps. I'm not asking permission. I've given him permission to direct my steps wherever they need to go. And then I am aware because of the renewing of my mind. Okay, Lord, this might be an opportunity. Am I aware? Am I letting you direct all my steps? I remember, this is one of the great moments in my life um, of stupidity, right? I, I had recently given my life to Christ, maybe six months in, and I was so fired up, so excited. God was doing so much in my life. And then I remember I, I had this group of roommates, it was four of us, and I was in my bedroom, and they were in the living room, and they didn't know I was there. And, 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 and one of them starts venting about me, Right? Um, he does this, he does this, it's super annoying, he does this, and he, I mean, there were probably like 15 things he said. And, and I don't think he was trying to like bash me, I think he was frustrated because I was doing a bunch of stupid things, right? So I sat there and I was like stewing in my room, about to come out and whatever, I don't know what I was going to do, but, but I was going to take the steps I needed to take to rectify this situation. And I remember in that moment, Jesus in me saying, but is he right? And I'm like, and so I start thinking through everything he said, and I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Oh, crud. Like, Jesus in me is calling me to rectify the situation all right by taking certain steps. And so within, they were not huge things. They were just things that I had done that were annoying, that were inconsiderate, that we're not honoring of him, not honoring of our home, that type of stuff, very simple stuff. And within probably two, three days, I was able to rectify every single one of them. I was able to fix them. <laughs> and I mean, he, I remember, I, it was kind of one of these really fun moments because there was literally maybe a week later, another time where they didn't know I was home. And I hear him talking to my roommate and he's saying, I don't know what happened. It's a miracle. It's absolutely a miracle. What happened? What did he do? And I'm like, and I'm telling you right now, guys, he wasn't wrong. That was a miracle. That was not me. Like, I, I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm upset. You talk behind my back, you know, I'll show you what a real friend you are. Well, you know what? He was a real friend. And Jesus said he was a real friend because it gave Jesus the opportunity to direct my steps. You know, people are hungry to see a life transformed. They want to see it. They're wondering if it's possible. Guys, they are wondering if it's possible. You go in, I, we were in Barnes and Noble this week, and there is like, there are like, there, there is literally a, I, and I was like surprised by the title of the whole area of books, self-transformation. Self-transform, not self-help, Self-transform, there is a self-help section as well. I guess, I guess some people just need help. Some people need absolute transformation, right? Okay, I don't know what that's about. But self-transformation, and do you know what all those books were? Witchcraft and New Age. Because if you talk to someone who's come out of witchcraft, they will tell you. It's about control. Controlling your environment, controlling things so that you have the life you want sometimes controlling others as well. Self-transformation. But we all know that doesn't lead to transformation. 
And people who have come out of witchcraft, they say the same thing. They say, that didn't lead anywhere. Controlling my world around me so that my world was transformed didn't change me from the inside out. It just made me feel like I was in control. Where we have the opposite, don't we? I'm saying, Jesus, here's everything. Here's my whole life. Here's my heart. Here's my getting up and my lying down, my waking up, my going to work. Here's all of my, my, my walk, and here's every step I take. Will you transform me? And it's just a beautiful thing when he actually is true to his word. That if you lay down your life, that's when you find it. It's just the most beautiful thing. I remember being surprised by that. Every time I would lay down my life, Jesus would do incredible things that would blow me away. And I would, I would think, oh, I guess I should have trusted your word. I mean, it, it gets funny sometimes because he'll do things and I'm amazed every time. And then he's like, that's what I said I would do. But I have to take him at his word. I want to end with this. It's not about being perfect. I've said that, but I need to reiterate that. You sharing your faith isn't about you having it all together. It's about you being wholehearted. Okay, I need to say that again because some of you are keeping yourself from sharing with others because you're messed up. Share that then. Hey, I'm messed up just like you. Maybe more. And I need Jesus. You know, I also think, and I was just praying about this just this morning, Some of you, even when you walk in the doors to this place, even though it's laid back, we don't put this value on rituals and on putting on a mask, but some of you, when you walk into this place, you feel like you have to, and I don't mean physical mask, friends, okay? What I mean is we come in and we feel like I got to perform. I got to say everything's okay. I've got to be good. When Good is never about your performance good is about whose you are, right? Who you belong to. He is good. He has made you good. He has made you worthy. Take off the mask. It's, because it's going to be a lot better for you. It's going to be a lot better for everybody around you. And guys, listen, if we reproduce a bunch of broken people who need Jesus, that's not bad at all. I mean, as a, as a leader, Peter would attest to this. Pastor James would attest to this, the leaders here. We'd love to see this place filled up with people who are broken and just needed Jesus. And they had a whole bunch of problems in their life and they needed a miraculous touch from Jesus. Man, this is a hospital, right? We would love that. And guess what? If you're broken and you need Jesus, that's who you're going to attract. And that's awesome. Jesus' disciples attracted a bunch of nobodies who changed the world, right? Because of who was inside of them. So as, as we close, I just want to say this. I want you to think about someone, and I, I believe even the Lord might bring them to mind. Spending a large quantity of time with a small quantity of people. Is there someone in your life who God is calling you to spend time with them? Life on life. Take them out to lunch. Take them out to coffee. Invite them over to your home. 
Someone who he's saying, I want you to invest in this person because I love them and I want you to reflect Jesus to them. It's not the ulterior motive of saying, I need to lead this person to Jesus. They need Jesus. We already know that, okay? That's our ultimate motive is that everyone in the world knows Jesus, but why am I doing what I'm doing? Not because, I mean, if they reject Jesus, am I going to reject them? No, Jesus doesn't do that. He's after them their whole life. No, I'm reaching out to them because I love them. Jesus didn't reject Peter after Peter rejected him. He restored him, didn't he? This is how he works. But I want you just to pray. You can stand with me right now. Let's just pray. Lord, right now, open up our eyes to see maybe just one or two people around us that we're called to life on life reproduce our faith. Guys, it's not just people who don't know Jesus yet. There may be someone in your life who you know, well, they have a relationship with God, but no one is investing in their life. Lord, would you just speak to each one of us? There's not one of us that can reach everyone, but all of us can reach someone. We've been talking about genuine conversations. Lord, would you now speak to our hearts? Is there someone in each one of our lives? Could be in the workplace. Could be in your own home. could be wherever your feet take you. Someone that you're saying, Lord, I am called to invest in them. They don't know you yet. They need to see you. Or they do know you, but they need someone to walk with you. I want to carry out your great commission to make disciples. And I thank you, Lord, that you're in this with us. We don't, we're not on our own. Directing our steps. It's you, Holy Spirit, working in us. So right now, Lord, we say yes to your spirit. Work in us, God. Even this week, Lord. Even this week, Lord, give us those opportunities. We give you permission to direct our steps. We give you permission to direct our steps right where you need them to go. That we would find ourselves in these situations. We'd find ourselves in these conversations where we have a real opportunity to reflect who you are. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to have it together. We don't have to have it all. Lord, we can be who we are right where we're at, Lord. And you're still, you're still going to move through us. All you need is a container, Lord. And we're thankful we get to be that.